RTHK News. It's one o'clock. I'm Alex Price. The headlines. Anson Chan says the Justice Secretary should take responsibility and step down over the extradition fiasco. A group of lawyers add their voices to calls for an independent investigation into allegations of police brutality. And the Court of Appeal hears that officers need the power to search mobile phones without a warrant. Former Chief Secretary Anson Chan has called on the Secretary for Justice, Theresa Cheng, to resign over the government's extradition bill. Millions of people have protested against the now-suspended proposal and are calling for its complete withdrawal. Ms Chan also said that Chief Executive Carrie Lam should be held responsible, but it might be difficult to replace her if she were forced out. She said that she would rather Ms Lam have a second chance to improve her leadership style. If someone has to be held accountable and has to step down, I think the um, Secretary for Justice, as the top legal advisor to the uh, government, bears great responsibility. Uh, she should have anticipated the furore that would be created by this um, rendition or, or extradition proposals because it removes the essential firewall between Hong Kong's rule of law system and the rule of men system prevailing in mainland China, where nobody can be assured of having a fair and open trial. And pro-government lawmaker Priscilla Leung says a rally planned for tomorrow to urge world leaders at the G20 summit to speak out on Hong Kong won't resolve the conflict over the extradition bill, but will embarrass the country. I really hope that political wisdom is being taken into account, uh, not to embarrass uh, our country in the international arena. And it is not necessary. It's completely lack of political wisdom for those group of people to do things like that. And it may even disturb our present situation that everyone is willing to sit down to talk and how to look into the matter and to review the Hong Kong situation. The Foreign Ministry has already said it won't allow the G20 to discuss Hong Kong matters. Meanwhile, a top Beijing official has accused anti-extradition protesters of using violence on every occasion, saying people shouldn't resort to such measures. Wendy Wong has more. The head of the National People's Congress Constitution and Law Committee, Li Fei, was answering Hong Kong reporters' questions in Beijing about the recent protests against the extradition bill. He admitted to being unclear about the legal amendments, but criticized the violence used by some people to protest against the bill. I've seen what has happened in Hong Kong. I don't understand. Hong Kong is governed by law. It's okay for you to hold demonstrations to express your demands in a peaceful manner. But why do they have to use violence every time they protest against the government? He said no matter how worried the protesters were, they shouldn't have broken the law or taken damaging action against police. Thousands of people besieged police headquarters in Wan Chai on Friday. Some heard abuse at officers and shouted slogans accusing them of brutality during previous anti-extradition protests. They called for the extradition bill to be completely withdrawn and all charges against protesters to be dropped. A barrister from the Progressive Lawyers Group says the clear hostility from police towards protesters during the clashes outside LegCo shows the need for an independent inquiry. Police used tear gas, batons and rubber bullets on anti-extradition protesters after they tried to break into the LegCo building. Barrister Geoffrey Young says the whole police approach to the protest needs to be examined. We could see that there's clear hostility towards, for example, journalists, or the protesters at the scene, was there something that went wrong? And secondly, 
for example, the commands on that day, were the guidelines on use of force, were they adequate? Was it because the police officers went off the guidelines, or was it because the guidelines themselves were problematic, or was it because there were certain conditions creating impunity for deviating from the guidelines? So all these are matters which are not just about individual instances, but they would hint at wider scale, more comprehensive review and reform. Another legal bid has been started to require police officers to display their identification numbers while on duty, the second in two days. Retired civil servant Kwok Jerk Kin and localist Sixtus Learn jointly applied for a judicial review at the High Court. Mr Kwok said the failure of some officers to show their IDs during clashes showed raised suspicions that they were not members of the Hong Kong Police Force but were mainland law enforcement officers or triad members. Lawyers for the Department of Justice have told the Court of Appeal that police need the power to immediately seize and search a suspect's mobile phone to ensure evidence is preserved. The police filed an appeal after a lower court ruled in 2017 that officers need a warrant to search the phone of a suspect in non-emergency situations. Priscilla reports. Senior Counsel Johnny Mock for the Department of Justice told the three-judge panel that the main purpose of the power to search phones was to ensure evidence wouldn't be deleted before police obtained a warrant. He said a person under arrest was subjected to a lower expectation of privacy. But judges questioned that proposition. Justice Johnson Lamb said police wouldn't know what information was related to the offense until after going through everything on the phone. The case arose after a truck driver sued police for searching his phone when he was leading an annual July the 1st rally in 2014 for the Civil Human Rights Front. In other news, state media are reporting that Chinese and U.S. trade negotiators have spoken by telephone ahead of a key meeting between Presidents Xi Jinping and Donald Trump at the G20 summit. Xinhua said the call took place at the request of the U.S. side and officials agreed to maintain contact. A U.S. official said the meeting between the presidents will take place on Saturday, the second day of the G20 summit in Osaka in Japan. Lawyers for a top Huawei executive have called on Canada's Justice Minister, David Lametti, to intervene and stop a U.S. extradition request, saying the case has become politicised. The lawyers for Chief Financial Officer Meng Wangju said she wouldn't have been charged in Canada for the alleged crime. Canada arrested Ms. Meng at the request of U.S. authorities on December the 1st in Vancouver. The U.S. has charged her with lying to banks about Huawei's dealings with Iran in violation of U.S. trade sanctions. The Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javid Zarif has said politicians close to President Trump despise diplomacy and thirst for war after the United States imposed more sanctions against the country. The Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei has been targeted because Mr Trump held him responsible for Iran's hostile activities in the region. Iran's ambassador to the UN, Majid Tahdi Ravanchi, said his country wouldn't accept talks with the United States. Everybody agrees that Dialogue has certain rules and certain uh, regulations. You cannot start a dialogue with somebody who is threatening you, who is intimidating you. How can we start a dialogue with somebody whose primary preoccupation is to put more sanctions on on Iran? So the the atmosphere of, of such a dialogue is not ready yet. At an emergency meeting of the UN Security Council, the acting US ambassador, Jonathan Cohen, again blamed Tehran for recent attacks on commercial tankers in the Gulf. 
Iran must understand that these attacks are unacceptable. It's time for the world to join us in saying so. Our policy remains an economic and diplomatic effort to bring Iran back to the negotiating table. Iran should, as I said two weeks ago, meet diplomacy with diplomacy. In the unanimous statement, the Council condemned the attacks as a threat to energy supplies and peace, but didn't apportion blame. Iran denies any involvement. Boris Johnson, the front-runner to become Britain's next Prime Minister, says he's confident he can broker a new leaving agreement with the European Union, despite EU officials repeatedly saying there can be no renegotiation of the deal agreed with Theresa May. Mr Johnson said a new deal was possible because politics in Britain and Europe had changed so much since the original deadline for Brexit. On our side of the channel, we've got MPs in both the major parties who recognise that their parties face real danger of extinction at the polls, and yeah, Labour went backwards in the recent council elections, unless we get Brexit over the line. A man who pushed an elderly traveller onto an underground rail track in London has been sentenced to life in prison for attempted murder. The victim was the 91-year-old former head of Eurotunnel. Here's the BBC's Daniela Ralph. Sir Robert Malpass was standing on the platform at Marble Arch Station in April last year when Paul Crossley pushed him onto the tracks. A bystander pulled Sir Robert back onto the platform just before the next train arrived. The former boss of Eurotunnel suffered a broken pelvis, a cut to the head and spent more than a week in hospital. Paul Crossley was a paranoid schizophrenic. The court heard he'd failed to take his medication and had used crack cocaine the day before the incident. The UN Special Rapporteur for Myanmar says a blackout of mobile phone data by the military could be to cover up human rights abuses as part of a clearance operation. Here's the BBC's Imogen Folks. The UN statement claims that on June 20th, Myanmar's Ministry of Communications ordered network providers in nine townships in Rakhine and Chin states to shut down mobile internet services. The blackout has alarmed UN human rights experts they have heard that the army is now conducting a clearance operation, which, the UN statement points out, can be a cover for gross human rights violations. A telecommunications company in Myanmar confirmed the blackout was requested by the military, but a spokesman for the military denied having ordered it. The Mexican president, André Manuel López Obrador, has been criticised for dismissing an infestation of sargassum seaweed plaguing the country's beaches as a minor issue. The state governor of Quintana Roo declared a state of emergency last week. More from the BBC's Candice Piet. Mr López Obrador is under pressure to spend millions of dollars to help clean up Mexico's Caribbean beaches. Having originally said he wasn't worried by the tons of rotting seaweed on the white sands around Cancun, he's now ordered the Navy to build sea barriers and commissioned four special boats to remove it. Local youths will also be paid to help with the clean-up. State officials say the seaweed is damaging the delicate coastal ecosystem. Ideas of what to do with it abound, including using it for livestock feed or turning it into building materials. Financial news and in currencies, the US dollar is trading at 106.91 yen. The euro stands at 1 US dollar and 14 cents and the pound is worth 9 Hong Kong dollars and 95 cents. And a short time ago, the Hang Seng Index stood at 28,122. 396 points down on the previous close. Turnover was $43 billion. Now, with the latest sports, here's Adam Jern.
Yanis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks has been named NBA's most valuable player for the first time. The 24-year-old from Greece beat out Paul George of Oklahoma City and James Harden of Houston and was honored at the awards ceremony in California. Antetokounmpo averaged 27 points and 12 rebounds per game while leading the Bucks to the best record in the regular season. His coach Mike Budenholzer was named Coach of the Year for the second time of his career after an impressive first season with Milwaukee. This year's awards were dominated by international stars. Slovenia's Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks won Rookie of the Year. The award for Most Improved Player went to Cameroon's Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors. Defensive Player of the Year went to the French center Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. Now to football in the Women's World Cup, where the United States are through to the quarterfinals after needing two penalties to get past Spain 2-1. The defending champions will next face the host nation France. Megan Rapinoe scored both penalties for the U.S. That's World Cup level grit right there. Um, you just, you can't replicate it. Uh, there's no way to express it or teach it. Um, there was a few of us out on the field, though, kind of like halfway through the second half, we're like, up a level. Uh, we need to go up a level, not only here, but just the tempo and in and, and here a little bit. So that's what these games are all about. They only get harder and more intense from here. Everybody's playing for their lives. So that's the, that's the best part about it, honestly. Like, I love it. This is the best stage. Sweden also made it into the last eight after beating Canada 1-0 and will face Germany. The last 16 stage wraps up tonight. China take on Italy, followed by Japan versus Netherlands. In the Cricket World Cup, England are getting ready to face their Ashes rivals, Australia, at Lords. The hosts are looking to bounce back after dropping their previous game against Sri Lanka. Australia can go top of the table with a win. Our cricket commentator, Sanir Chowdhury, says the Australians have a recent history of defying their critics. Earlier this year, Australia came to India as a second favorite by some distance and went on to win the series after being 2-0 down. They won 3-2, much to the surprise of a lot of people, including uh, a lot of Indian fans as well, who had started talking about a 5-0 whitewash. And then they have now come into the World Cup, uh, not quite a favorite, but favorite to make it to the semi-final and they have lost just one match out of all the matches that they have played, lost to India and today might be the real test of their uh, skills given that they are going to, be, going to be playing against England, the pre-tournament favorites. Australia entered the contest second in the table, one point behind the leaders New Zealand. And that's you look at sports. Thanks to Adam Chung there. And now to end the news, a reminder of our top stories. Anson Chan says the Justice Secretary should step down over the extradition fiasco. A group of lawyers add their voices to calls from independent probe into allegations of police brutality. And the Court of Appeal hears that officers need the power to search mobile phones without a warrant. The news from RTHK. Let me give praise to your sparkling eyes and your coloured hair Let me spend ages on poetic phrases to show I care Let me go grazing on dappled green passes where you're the mayor Let me rephrase that I think there's a better line there Spinning around in the air Let me 
donate something to a kid's charity of your choice. For you, I would willingly be a worse traitor than William Joyce. If I could sing, I would sing you a song in Sam Cooke's voice. Let me rephrase that I think there's a better line there. Spinning around in the air. Are you happy now, see? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me where it hurts. 